Hi, Ted Schmitz here, editor, producer at Vent City. I'm not gonna do much of an intro because I'm gonna let Ryan do that, but basically just know that although his intro talks about a grouping of interviews we're doing, what we are giving you right now in this main feed is just one selected interview from that group of five that we just put out on our Patreon feed. This one is with Mimi Noop, but we also have four others that are with Betsy Gordon from the Smithsonian, Tom Callen Riley, who's an organizer at Pushing Borders, Rick McCrank, and uh, Indigo Willing, who's doing some pretty cool work in skating. So if you want to hear the rest of those interviews, just go to patreon.com slash VentCity. You can sign up for either tier, and uh, you'll have access to that feed and, and all the interviews that Ryan did at Pushing Borders. So. What's up, skaters? Uh, hi, hello. It's Ryan here. Remember me? Um, we're fresh off the second annual Pushing Borders Conference. Uh, and actually, I've just been sick in bed since I got home. A classic case of overstoke. So apologies for an even more congested voice. We're going to do a full recap in a week or two after I have time to process everything. But I wanted to get these interviews out to give people a little feel for the conference. I think there's 10 of them in total. Pushing Borders felt a little bit like a wedding or a reunion where you're just feeling this catharsis of just getting everything out and simultaneously soak in everything. It was an incredibly humbling experience and a glimpse into some of this shape-shifting work that's happening around the world. We laughed, we cried, we all fanned out on Ocean Howl. Actually, Ted just called him the Bill Crate guy from the iPath promo. Uh, really regretting in this moment not getting an interview in with him, but uh, I think he deserves his own episode, so we'll try to make that happen in the near future. Anyways, uh, I arrived early and stayed late, and I know I speak for everyone when I say I was happy that they spaced it out over four days because it was intense. Uh, there were still so many people I wanted to catch up with but didn't have the time. Thank you so much to Theo, Charlie, Osh, Tom, Stu, and Sander for spending months organizing this whole thing. You guys are champs, and just so there's full disclosure here, this was all unpaid work, and we're hoping that y'all take a much-needed vacation. Lastly, thanks to Gustav and the folks at Brig for hosting the event. So here we go. Here's a part one of a selection of interviews from a mix of pro skaters, academics, and folks in the social skate project world. Just wanted to try and get a little cross-section of what was happening at the conference. There were too many people to talk to, and honestly, like everyone else, I was completely burnt the fuck out. Uh, aside from one or two instances, these are basically live and uncut, so apologies if they're a little rough in some spots. There's definitely a handful of moments where I'm doing my best to process and hang in there with the, some of the academics. We didn't have time to cut them and figured people would be happy to hear them a little raw than none at all. So enjoy! <laughs> All right, I'm here with Mimi Noop, uh, who is a former professional skateboarder and president of the Women's Skateboarding Alliance. Uh, Mimi, how you doing? I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> so you were here at Pushing Borders to, uh, you weren't chairing the panel, you were sitting next to the chair of the Revolution Will Not Be Patronized, uh, which was basically covering issues in women's skateboarding, correct? Correct. Yep. All right. Yeah. So 
can you give me a little background on I, we usually don't cover origin stories on the show um, because a lot of the other podcasts cover them much better but as you just told me you've never been on a podcast before so can, for folks out there that maybe don't know you or aren't familiar with you can you just give us a little background on your your story yeah i mean i'm a lifelong skateboarder um skated all through childhood just for fun in the neighborhood you know with my friends and um Ended up moving to California kind of spontaneously um, in my early 20s. And yeah, I looked around, realized it was like a skate mecca. Didn't really follow the industry. Um, but yeah, long story short, I started learning how to skate vert and bowls and started entering contests. Met like Carabeth Burnside and Jen O'Brien and Brian Fick, actually a photographer, uh -huh. um, introduced me to all of them. Rad. Um and yeah, one thing led to another, and now it's 20 years later. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay, that was a really good synopsis. Um, you were talking about the, you know, I guess, what is it, the pay inequality in contests historically, and you had a really, I've heard this story from other people, but I want to hear you tell it because it is like incredibly powerful, the role that you had in basically like changing, not only in skateboarding, but across other sports, the, the pay distribution in contests. Right. Yeah. So basically in a nutshell, what happened, um, you know, back in 2005 or so, uh, I was invited to skate the X Games Women's Vert Contest. Uh, and I was there with Jen O'Brien, Carabeth Burnside, uh, Lindsay Pastrana, who used to be Lindsay Adams Hawkins. Um, and then we basically at the time, like, if you won a contest as a women's skater in 2005, you'd win about two grand. And then the, on the men's side, if they won, they get 50 grand. So there was a really big pay gap there. Um, Jeez. Yeah, it's pretty big, but like- And are you paying to get to these contests? Yeah, we definitely, I mean, I didn't have any sponsors at the time like wow. that were paying me. Uh, I think Carabeth was set up, you know, she rode for Vans and Hurley at the time. Um, you know, she kind of was supported in that way. But uh, even for hers, like she ended up, you know, with some bills by the end of the week, you know, for a hotel flight, wherever we had to go. Um, so long story short, we kind of realized that it's something that we needed to change. Um, and we also didn't have like much input into our own events at the time. We li we would literally get invited like a week before X Games and we'd be like, oh, guess we can't have our families come because they don't have time to get here. You know, if they live across the country or in other places. Yeah. We didn't have practice time. Just a lot. There were a lot of, a lot of things that. You just show up and like, good luck. Yeah. We literally <laughs> show up. They're like, here's, here's an eight rail. <laughs> exactly. You get like an hour of practice and then the comp and then it was over and it would all happen like before the doors open, you yeah. know, so it's like um, just a different experience. So we, we wanted to kind of brainstorm on how to better all of that. Um, so in 2005, the night before the women's street contest at X games, we all kind of got together in a hotel room. Um, we we're like, well, maybe, maybe we just should try not showing up tomorrow and just see what happens, you know? And, um, we kind of based the concept off the 1984 Virginia slims women's tennis tournament. Um, they chose to boycott that event. Um, and, they got uh, equal prize money out of that. So we were basing it on that model. And so- Wait, who led that? Uh, Billie Jean King. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Famously. Billie, Billie Jean King. So um, so the next morning we 
we went, but we no one skated. The street skaters didn't skate. The stands were full, actually, which was oh unusual. My God, that is so <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, so we ESPN called us right away, and um, they're like, "Look, you know, we have people here for this event. You girls need to skate." And we basically, we didn't make any demands on them or anything. We were just like, look, we want to have a voice, you know, in this yeah, space. Yeah, seat at the table. Exactly, a seat at the table. And um, basically what all unions are kind of seeking. Exactly. So um, we simply requested a meeting in exchange for, you know, going out there and skating the contest and they agreed. So um, Women's Street happened. The next day Women's Vert happened. We all held up our end of the bargain and then a whole year passed and we never had a meeting. We just kept getting put off. Um, Jesus. Yeah. So um, the next measure that was taken uh, is we went to the New York Times and had an article published about it. And it ended up on the front page of the sports section at the time. Um, that was summer 2006. And that happened the week before X Games, summer 2006. Did you have a, like a publicist or PR we, person helping you with that? We didn't have a PR person, but um, Drew Mearns, who is a lawyer, uh, he came from track and field. He used to be a sports agent uh, for track and field. He helped put track and field on the map in the early 80s. He was someone that we had connected with, and he was he was guiding us through a lot of this stuff. Um, his father was a civil rights, had background in civil rights, um, so his his intentions were, were pretty altruistic and... Um, you know, good. So, um, he definitely did a lot of guiding and, um, you know, gave us a lot of advice along the way, but no, we were doing it ourselves. I mean, it was, Carabeth was our leader, you know, at the time for the group and like, she was on the phone talking directly to reporters and ESPN and everyone else. So, um, you're suddenly doing like PR and, uh, collective bargaining exactly <laughs> yeah exactly i didn't even know it was called that actually yeah. but that's what we were doing yes um with like one of the most powerful uh sports media companies in the world right yes which i actually at the time i was like this is i can't believe we're doing this you know like yeah, it must be thrilling it was it was kind of like a thrill but for someone like carabeth she had everything on the line i mean she had salaries from companies coming in i mean she really put her neck out there at the time i mean i don't think a lot of people realize that yeah i mean that's um, the scary thing about unionization it's like it doesn't work if not if everyone's not involved you know or right. at least a, a majority exactly so she you know through her through her career and the respect she had within our community, we were able to unify and do all of this. I mean, it wouldn't have happened without her. Um, wow. So anyway, hats off to Carabeth. Um, but uh, yeah, so we got the article published in the New York Times. That of course did lead to a meeting with the vice president of ESPN at the time. Um, did you have any worry that maybe they were just gonna cancel women's skateboarding in the contest altogether? Yes, actually, to backtrack the year before 2005 when we didn't show up, um, the sport organizer at the time left a message on Caravas phone like, what do you think this is, women's tennis? If you guys don't show up, we're cutting you out. And I won't name who that is, but uh, yeah, it was. Uh, we got that a lot. We got hate from a lot of angles, and that actually went on for years after. So it wasn't something that just, you know, it was something like we dealt with for a long time. Um, but, um, that didn't happen by the way, but, yeah. uh, so 
2006, we had a meeting uh, with the vice president of ESPN in the Staples Center um, the night before the Women's Burt Contest. And he basically was like, look, it was, sorry, it was myself, Carabeth, and Drew Mearns, um, the lawyer that was helping us. Um, and he's like, look, I can, you know, I can give you guys equal prize money overnight, but the problem is I'm going to have to do this for every sport ESPN works with, and it's not realistic. It's like, I want to do the right thing, but this is going to have to be something that happens over time. Yeah. And, um, just like a few years span. And we actually, we actually agreed uh, with God him. forbid they'd give equal pay over all the sports, right? Right. <laughs> I, yeah. I think that would be, uh. He's like, that look, you understand the problem one. I'm in. You, I, I'm going to have to pay everyone fairly. I can't do exactly, that. Exactly. Exactly. From our point of view as skateboarders, we wanted to, we wanted the ability level and the participation numbers to reflect, like, um, we wanted to earn it basically. So we wanted to be able to say, hey, look, like this, this demographic is growing. We're learning progressive tricks, like everyone's ripping, like this is how it should be. You know, we didn't just want a handout basically. Um, so we kind of at the time were like, we were okay with it coming to parody like over a few span, a span of a few years. Um, it felt comfortable for us at the time. Um, so, and then the other, um, was the, the other thing is we requested an increase in media exposure because okay. during those years there was no one like filming the contest. No, there were no photographers. Like no one wanted to photograph women skateboarding. Like my friend Brian Fick, he was one of the only guys you know for many years that was actually shooting photos of women skaters. Yeah. Um. So that was one of the requests, and and the last thing that I'd say that was one of the most important things is we wanted to run our own events. Um, we didn't want to have to go through um, another entity because uh, then we were worried the same thing would happen again. So we wanted to have control over our own events um, to make sure we had practice time, to make sure the right skaters were invited to the events because we were the only ones that knew what the talent pool was at the time. There was no sure, social yeah. media, you know? Uh -huh. um, and that enabled us over the years to get people like Leticia Buffoni and Samaria Brevard and Aori Nishimura, like we, we got those girls into X Games. So at this point, you're just a full-blown like event organizer. Yeah, overnight and, and event skater. organizer. Yeah, pretty much so. So yeah, that's, he agreed to the terms and, um, you know, did a handshake and next day we went and skated our vert contest and then street was after that. Um, and fast forward a few years later, uh, 2008, uh, maybe it was fall 2008, um, ESPN hit me up and they're like, Hey, we just want to let you know in two weeks, we're going to announce like equal purses for all X games events, um, both summer and winter. And the first one it's going to hit is um, Winter X Games in Aspen in January. We just wanted to let you know. And so that was like a big moment. So we felt like it was, you know, work had finally paid off. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Wow. Incredible story. And then, uh, okay, I just, I don't, I don't want to, I don't know at what point in this uh, trajectory, but you started Hoopla Skateboards, right? Yeah. Um, we started Hoopla around the time they announced equal pay. So that was probably 2007. So maybe the year before that. 
And yeah, that was another answer to lack of... It was kind of, a, you started out of the awareness that you were kind of seeing that like, all right, there's a lot of problems within the industry and we kind of need to build something of our own. Exactly. Yeah. We just, we wanted to build a brand that we could kind of control, shape and control, and also build a brand that um, that supported the other girls around us and the other like kids coming up behind us that couldn't get sponsors, but that were really good. Um, we wanted to be able to go on trips and make videos and do all the fun stuff, brand, you know, board brands do. Um, so yeah, that's, that's why Hoopa was created. And we partnered with George Powell up at Skate One for that. Um, George was a big mentor of mine over the years. Um, super visionary guy and was actually really open-minded about the whole thing. The whole 10 years we worked with him Red. and, um, yeah, it was that was a wild ride as well. Give me give me a list of some uh uh legendary skaters who've come out of Hoopla. Um so let's see. Evelyn Bouillard from Belgium actually was our first like team rider we put on and she was just like a ripping street skater at the time like hitting rails when no girls were really hitting big rails and just like in the streets and so Evelyn was our first team rider. Then uh Alicia Bergato um Alana Smith, Nora Vasconcelos. Love yeah. Nora. <laughs> shout uh, out Nora. <laughs> shout out Nora. Um, Alana so, Smith's from Arizona. Yep, she yep. sure is. Yeah. Yeah. So Alana came to us as like a 12 year old, or no, she's probably even younger than that. I don't know. She was really small. Yeah. Like she was probably like 10 or 11. Um, so yeah, Alana and then Samari Brevard. And then later on, Towards the later days of Hoopla, we had Nicole Hawes, uh, Fabiana Delfino, and Breezy, Brianna Gearing. Um, so yeah, we had we had a pretty full roster there. And as you pointed out, I mean, a lot of the kind of uh, legacy brands in skateboarding ended up picking up a lot of these girls and women and adding them to your teams. And ha speak a little bit about how you f felt about that. Yeah, it kind of seems like they're poaching your writers and you're like the, you know, like the farm league or the right. talent scouts. Right, exactly. Which could be really frustrating. Yeah, there are a range of emotions with that whole process and it happened over like a couple years span. So it didn't happen all at once. But, you know, almost felt like you're going through a breakup in a weird way. Like you're like, sure. wait, I love this person. Like, why don't they love me anymore? But then really the the bigger picture was like, okay, what's we created this to further these kids careers. Like how is this brand, this next brand they're looking at writing for, are they going to do better than what we're doing? And if the answer was yes, I always encourage them to go. I was like, look, like this is what you have to do to make it, you know, like what a role um, model. Yeah. Well, it's more about like, I mean, it's probably not the best business model, but like, <laughs> it's more about like supporting each other and like, I relate to them. They relate to me. And it's like they're family. You know well, what I mean? It's kind of symbolic of something you've done throughout your entire career, which is like put pressure on the rest of the industry. You know, like you basically put pressure on the companies to support these women and, you know, add them to their team. And so I, I as you said in the on the panel, it was kind of like this was the job we were trying to do all along, which was like create more equitable space in skateboarding or within the industry, at least. Definitely. Yeah. 100% true. Um, yeah, that was definitely our goal. And we had advocates along the way. Like I, I mean, George Powell is a huge advocate, uh, for me personally and also for the brand. And 
um, I have to give a shout out to him because he he never said no to one idea I brought him. And I can tell you there, you know, sometimes not everyone else in the office felt the same way. Sure. And he believed in it and that's how we were able to do it. Um, so yeah, that was, that was an amazing experience. Um, but yeah, we, I, I've always liked to create, um, things that have never been done before, yeah, whether it's like trailblazer. Yeah. I don't, I don't think of myself as that, but like, that's because you're being humble. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm, I, I'm responding more to the feeling I get from it, you know, whether sure. it's like yeah. landing a new trick or something or like, that's the feeling it gives me like doing something new uh, is exciting to me, yeah. especially if I can, if I can help out. I mean, others isn't that true of kind of all altruistic acts? It's like they're inherently selfish because they make yes. us feel good. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, sure. And uh, I mean, what advice do you have out there for um, young girls skating and, and women kind of coming up in the, trying to make a place for themselves in the industry? Um, The advice I've, I've, probably given the most is educate yourself and become a business person because skateboarding is a business and it's if ruthless. you yeah and it's ruthless but but not only that it's also like you need to think like an entrepreneur in this space if you want to make it it's not just about the skateboarding it's not about like if you're the best in the world it doesn't really guarantee the same things that used to. Yeah, 20, I mean, it's all marketing ago. at the end of the day. Yeah, it's all marketing and you need to be savvy. You need to be frugal and you need to be smart and like you need to learn business. And I just think you need to you need to become an entrepreneur, whatever direction you want to go. And you might you might need to get in contact with with me. me. Yeah, I'm here to help. No, <laughs> I mean, I, we we've seen people that have done well and that's what that's what they are i mean to bring up nora again like nora is sure. uh, she's done an amazing job at creating a career for herself that's it's, very she's a brand she's a brand yeah yeah and she's so much bigger than the brands that you know she's writing for she's got her own project that exactly. is separate from that exactly so yeah that's the advice i would give and also like if you love to do something like that's the reason to go for it you know i mean sure. if you feel strongly about something like that should that should be like what you're focusing on, you know, not for any other reason. Rad. Well, thank you so much for everything that you've done for skateboarding. I mean, I, this is a story that Nora told me just a few years ago, I, I believe. And yeah, I just, I don't know. It's just incredible. Where can people find you and the work that you're doing? Um, uh, I don't even know. <laughs> um, let me think here. Probably Instagram, right? Yeah, Instagram is probably the easiest. Yeah. I mean, I wear, I still wear a lot of hats. I do a lot of different work. Um, probably my own personal Instagram. Sure. Um, and then if is you want a website for the. Yeah, I was gonna say. Um, you know, the last couple of years, I've done a lot of consulting work. I run events. Um, and that's all through my management, um, consulting agency, Women's Skateboarding Alliance. So you can look that up, womenskateboardingalliance.com. Rad. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. Like we said at the top of the show, if you want to hear more of the interviews that Ryan did at the Pushing Borders Conference, you can go to patreon.com slash VentCity. And if you sign up for either tier, you'll have access to all five interviews we just put out. And we'll have five more in a week. Intro and transition music in this episode was by Michael Krigger at Blogafonte on Instagram, B-L-O-G-A-F-O-N-T-E. 
Credits music was by Alana Brine, I-L-A-N-A dot B-R-Y-N-E on Instagram, or naivetracks.bandcamp.com. That's tracks with an X. Our logo and graphic design is by Michael Warfel. You can find him on Instagram at Warfel. Warfel.